Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. What is it when false wisdom is your thinking? What is it when you think like the world, even for a Christian? It's sad to say that but many Christians fall into this category. All of us at one time or another battle with it, but many battle and never fight back. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Without the Holy Spirit imparting God's wisdom to us, the only thing left to us is the wisdom of the world which is a false wisdom. In fact, it really isn't wisdom at all because it leads us to destruction. I'm very glad God offers us His wisdom if we ask for it. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our text today is James 3, 13 through 18, as we continue through this very practical epistle. We'll start out today with some reinforcement of what we learned last time about godly wisdom, and then Pastor Steve will be contrasting that with what passes as wisdom in our society, something we also call false wisdom. Last week, we began to look at James chapter 3, 13 through 18, and it introduced us to the concept that those who teach need to have a certain lifestyle that has a high standard. That's consistent with their messages. And we said that it isn't just for the teacher who might be in the pulpit, or the teacher who might have that position of teacher, but it applies to all of us who teach in one way or another and handle the word, whether you're a parent, whether you are discipling somebody, whether you are a Sunday school teacher, anyone who handles the word, whether you are a witness to others, you are handling the word of God and your message has to see its, uh, its counterpart in your life. And in chapter 3, verse 1, James introduces us to the truth that teachers should not rush in to that position of teaching because a stricter judgment awaits them. There is a higher judgment for those who teach because the teacher not only is responsible for himself, but he is responsible for others, those who follow his teaching those who will follow what he says. And so in verses 1 through 12, what James does is he deals with, the, with uh, this whole idea of leading others in what we say. What we say really has an impact on people's lives. And we call that message the power of the tongue. We said the power of the tongue is, is uh, found in the fact that it can direct lives. What you say and what I say has the power to direct or influence people. It also has power to destroy lives. You can can crush somebody, especially little children. You can verbally abuse a little child and crush them to the point where their whole self-image is shattered, and it is very, very difficult to ever build that up again. But you can destroy somebody just by what you say, so cutting and so hurting and so nasty. That's the power of the tongue. Then it's the power to diagnose our spiritual condition. 
What you are becomes evident by what you say. What's really in your heart will eventually come out in what you say. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. Out of the overflowing of the heart, it eventually comes forth. And, and James shows us in verse 9, With it we bless our Lord and the Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. And then he goes on to show in verse, 10, in verse 11, Does a fountain send out, the same, out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh water. What he's saying is nature is consistent, and yet Christians so many times are not consistent. And he says in verse 10, these things ought not so to be. It diagnoses where we are. That's the power of the tongue. But it isn't only our words, as we said last, last week, that have power. Our lifestyle has power. The wisdom in applying what our words are actually saying is what James is dealing with from verses 13 through 18. And we're only going to take verse 14 and 15 tonight and review 13. The wisdom and godly lifestyle of a teacher is powerful. There is nothing more powerful than that. Robert Murray McShane said this, A holy man is a powerful instrument in the hands of God. God uses Holy people. Unholy people, as one Bible teacher I know said, unholy people just get in the way of the message. They get in the way of what God wants to do. And yet, to balance that out, God will use anyone who will use his word. But God chooses to use holy vessels fit for the master's use. To illustrate that, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Timothy had a hard job. He, he came to Ephesus and he was instructed by Paul to get things straightened out there. And he had to work with men who were probably much older than he was. We estimate that Timothy was around 34 years old at the time. He had to work with men much older. Paul gave him apostolic authority. He was in charge of those men. And yet, in verse 12, Paul says, look, if you really want them to respect you, if you really want your message to have an impact on their lives... Don't be overly concerned with what you say, though you should say the things that have become sound and are healthy doctrine. But he says, Timothy, be thou an example. Let no man despise your youth. Give them no reason to despise it. You not only say what's right, but you do what's right, and you be an example to them. Why? Because that way your message will have credibility. People respect and follow those who live somewhat of a consistent life, though we all stumble, as James says. And so in verses 13 through 18, James is dealing with wisdom, or another way of putting it is practical godliness, the godliness of a teacher. It's important to note that James focuses on two aspects of teaching. We said this before, sound words, sound living. The qualifications for being a good teacher is simply being an example. It is not your charisma, your dynamics, your intelligence, your poise, your style that makes you a good teacher. It is your godly example. In the Christian realm, that is really the criteria. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, Paul lays down the qualifications for a leader in the church, and there is nothing there about dynamics. There is nothing there about charisma. It is only dealing with spiritual qualifications. Why? Because the kingdom of God is run differently than the kingdom of this world. The world 
looks for strong, natural leaders. God looks for servants who are godly. It's as simple as that. Now, last week we said that in this passage, we see three truths about wisdom. Last week we covered the first, and we'll only get to part of the second. The characteristics of true wisdom, the contrast of true wisdom, and the consequence of true wisdom, or the uh, contrast, we said, of wisdoms. Let's look briefly at the characteristics of true wisdom. We said this last week that a truly wise person will be characterized by two things in his life. Verse 13, let's look at that. Who among you is wise and understanding? Anybody here smart, he says? Anybody here wise? Let him show, let him prove it. Let him put it on display so that we could examine it by his, number one, his good behavior. His good behavior. And then he says, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Good behavior and gentleness ought to characterize a truly wise teacher. And what is good behavior? We said that in its original root form, it means a turning back, a turning around. And it means this, a wise teacher is one who will turn to conform to the truth. Whatever the truth is, he will get his life in order. He will recognize something that's inconsistent in his life. When the word of God deals with that area, he will turn. If you don't turn, you are unwise according to God's word. As a matter of fact, if you don't turn, you shouldn't be a teacher. Certainly, you shouldn't be in a position of teaching. As handlers of God's word, and that's all of us, because all of us teach, we are exposed on a daily basis to all kinds of truth from God. We hear it on the radio, and many people tell me about the radio programs they listen to. We hear it on television. The other night, I turned on the television, and there was Billy Graham, I think out of uh, the Baltimore crusade. We hear the truth from God on Not only radio and television, but the church. Some of you are visiting tonight. Perhaps you haven't been to church very often, but the majority of us hear the word preached on a regular basis. Books. Our our bookstores abound, the Christian bookstores, with literature from a biblical perspective. There are cassettes. I have so many cassettes, I don't have any more room for them. We have so much truth. Our friends confront us with truth every day, and we are being confronted all the time. Magazines is another vehicle. And when you're confronted with truth, you have to do one of two things. Either you conform to the truth, you respond to it, or you grow rebellious. There is nothing neutral in the Christian life. I found this in my life where I will rebel against the truth. I will only grow dull in my Christian senses, in my Christian life. Either you respond or you grow callous to the truth. You cannot put it aside when you are clear that God is dealing with you on an issue. Now, we put things aside if we don't understand it. But when you understand something and God is dealing with you, you can never put that aside and grow in the Christian life. You either have to obey it or you go backwards. And that's what we call a backslider. Why? Because he is sliding backwards. He's not going forward. That's where the word comes from. So we are forced to make a decision every day. And a wise teacher gets his life when he's faced with decisions. He gets his life in tune with God's standards, no matter what the cost. And I have personally found in my life, it is the little things that lead up to the big things. Very rarely are we faced with big, gigantic truths 
that we've never heard before. It's those little areas that we're probably reminded of. Peter says, I say these things to, br- to stir up your remembrance. Bring these things to your remembrance. Nothing new. It's just those areas that perhaps we've gotten careless about. It's a wise teacher who responds. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 6, just to illustrate this. Deuteronomy chapter 6. God wanted the children of Israel to be different than those that lived in the lands of Canaan. He wanted them to be unique. He didn't want them to be like those who lived there. As a matter of fact, those who were their neighbors, pornography came out of that area. God said, I want to preserve and make sure that you're different. And the way I'm going to do this is, you Jewish people, you pass on to your children the truth. But there's one key ingredient to that. And let's look at Deuteronomy 6. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, or Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That is the famous heart cry of the Jew even today. And yet, very rarely do the Jewish people, and very rarely do we go any further than that. Look at verse 5. Here's the, the ingredient what makes a great teacher. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. In other words, you get your life in order. Don't teach something to your children. Don't expect them to love the Lord if you don't. Don't expect them to carry the word in their heart if you don't. Verse 7, And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. But what did he say first? Before you do that, make sure that you're obedient to what you're asking them to be obedient to. Make sure you obey the law is what he's saying before you tell them to obey the law. And the message for us while we're not under law is make sure we obey the word of God. If We want anyone else to. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul was saying his farewell address to the Ephesian elders or pastors. He called them together who said, you'll see my face no more, but I want you to remember this. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. But before you can ever be on guard for the flock, you be on guard for yourselves. In the King James, it says, take heed unto yourselves. That's the priority of the ministry. Make sure your own life is right. You cannot minister to anybody else effectively unless your life is right. This is why preparing a message, and those of you who teach Sunday school, or those of you who have the opportunity to preach in the pulpit, no, you don't just pull something out of the shelf. It's got to go through you. It deals with you. You deal with it. It becomes part of you. You're not just communicating academic information. You're communicating words of life. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they're spirit and they're life. It isn't just another book. It's a spiritual book. It's God's book. So the priority of the ministry is make sure that your life is right because God wants to use holy vessels. We don't hear much about holiness these days. You hear a lot about techniques, a lot about methods, but God uses holy people. And I fear that's why many local churches are not effective because they have so emphasized methodology. And there's nothing wrong with some methods, but when you put methodology above holy living, you are completely missing the point. Methods come and go, but holiness is what God uses, holy vessels. And then he says there's gentleness. 
Gentleness does not mean weakness. It means mild, soothing, someone under control. As a matter of fact, it is only a strong person who can be under control. It was used for a horse, that a wild horse that was, that was broken and put under control. Jesus said, I'm meek, but he's not weak. I am gentle. I'm under control. A godly teacher is not to be threatened by others disagreeing with him. We went over this last week. Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and says he ought to be apt to teach, which not only means he can give out truth, it means he does it with a gentle spirit. He's kind. He doesn't ram truth down someone's throat. He's sensitive. He's tactful. I have met some people that are only concerned about getting the truth out and not concerned about the people who are receiving the truth. Well, that's what we looked at last time, the characteristics of true wisdom. But there is the contrast of wisdom. There's another kind of wisdom that's, that's different. It's the world's wisdom. Where there is true, wise living, there will always be counterfeit, false living. It is characterizing our age. Let's look at verse 14. But, notice he's changing now when you see that in the Bible. But, here's something else that's different. But, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. What does that mean? What he's doing here in the sense of contrast is he really doesn't give us the opposite of true wisdom, but he, he, but he shows us what it's like, what comes out of a person who is not controlled by true wisdom. What is it when false wisdom is your thinking? What is it when you think like the world, even for a Christian? It's sad to say that but many Christians fall into this category. All of us at one time or another battle with it, but many battle and never fight back. Or they don't battle, the battle overtakes them. What happens when a person is controlled by false wisdom? If you don't respond and conform to the word of God, this is what your life is characterized by. He says two things, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. A teacher who is ruled by false wisdom will be a jealous person. We want to look at that first. Bitter jealousy, threatened by somebody else doing a better job. Don't you battle with that? I do. I battle with that. I go to these pastor conferences. I think, how come he speaks so well? How come I don't? Bruce Mills and I know, because we were at the Moody Pastors Conference. After I'm there a whole week, I, I heard Stephen Olford speak, and then Chuck Swindoll came up and at the end of the, the uh, conference and said, just what was on my heart. He said, you hear Stephen Olford speak, and you think that you're retarded. <laughs> and I thought, I couldn't put it in better words. Then you ought to hear what he said about John MacArthur and a fellow by the name of Dave Burnham. I'll tell you, it has nothing to do with this, but I, roll, I just about rolled off my seat when he said this. He said, uh, and you hear, he said, you hear MacArthur and you hear Burnham, said they're a bunch of hot dogs, and you wonder if you could ever sound as good as that. When he said that, I, I just roared. Dennis Finnan was sitting next to me, and, and I think I was crying. But bitter jealousy, we're threatened by others doing a better job, having a bigger congregation, having a better Sunday school class, having more people. Somebody told me this week about a, a former pastor they had who, who actually used to go out into the parking lot before the service and count how many cars are there, see what size crowds are coming. I wish I could say that in the ministry, 
that uh, bitter jealousy doesn't take place, but I know better than that, it does. All you have to do is get around a few pastors and you'll realize the petty rivalry, the competition, the comparison, the drive and the zeal to be number one. It's terrible. It's there. To have the largest following, to be the most popular preacher or teacher. And that's why many pastors will never cooperate with other churches. We can say that it has to do with separation, but sometimes it has to do with sin. And we don't want to cooperate for fear that more people will go to their church. More people will like them. Bill Houck was telling me recently about a a youth ministry that uh, seemed to want to be in competition with us. Feared that. That's terrible. There are some who don't cooperate with, with one another because they don't want the other person to look good. We want to look good. And it's not just on the uh, pastoral level. It's, it's on Sunday school classes. It's, it's in our homes wanting our children to perform and recite their 15 scripture verses backwards. I know because I've tried to show off when people come over too. And then usually Michelle reproves me after. But all of us have that, uh, look what my son can do. Look what my daughter can do. It was jealousy that uh, made Cain kill Abel. It was jealousy, because of jealousy, that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Jealous. It was jealousy that made Saul seek the life of David. Because when they came back from the battle, they said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And envy and jealousy swelled up in King Saul. And why does it take place? Because we're so foolish to compare ourselves with one another. You know, when I read this, I just had to get alone with the Lord. And I I said, Lord, I I have battles in this area. And I want victory over that. And if I have battles, I know that you must have battles. We hear somebody speak and we think, I could never be like them. God has never intended you to be like them. That's why we're going over spiritual gifts. You are unique. Even if you have the same gift as somebody else, you may not have that unique blend of gifts. You don't have that personality. I've, I've realized in the last few months that I'm not for everybody. I'm for those who have a sense of humor. No, I'm joking. I'm not for everybody. And that's why there are other local churches. That's why there are radio ministries that are different. You know, sometimes they say, why another radio ministry? Because everybody is different. And what appeals to one doesn't appeal to another. We are all different. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul said this about those who were those who were. Uh, claiming to be apostles. They were false apostles. He said their problem is they compare themselves with themselves and they show themselves to be unwise. Their standard is themselves, but by comparing, they're unwise. The ministry is a place that finds plenty of jealousy and it goes hand in hand with selfish ambition. This is very similar and that's what he says in verse 14, selfish ambition. You see, it's false wisdom that says, promote yourself, be number one, strive to the top. But it's God's wisdom that says, humble yourself, be a servant, don't look for the spotlight. I agree with A.W. Tozer and many others who have said this, the man who wants the spotlight ought to never have it. But it's our attitude, aim for the top, be number one. That promotion, that rivalry, that party split, that was the Corinthians' problem. They want their teachers to be teachers to be number one. They wanted, if you were in Paul's camp, they wanted Paul to be number one or Apollos or Cephas. 
They wanted their spiritual gifts to be number one. I recently heard a joke about a salesman who became rich closing deals with one simple sentence. He told his clients, let me show you something several of your neighbors said they couldn't afford. (laughs) Selfish ambition. It brought down Lucifer. It brought down King Saul. And it has destroyed countless others over the course of history. Isn't it better to be humble and let God lift us up? Thanks for joining us today for Verse by Verse with the Bible teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to find out more about Lakeside, you can browse online to lakesidechapel.com or call the church office at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. As we continue on in this series from James chapter 3, perhaps you missed a broadcast or would like to review something. We have all of our previous programs available for free streaming or downloading at versebyverseradio.org. Just browse to the message archive page. The website again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Pride is tricky stuff, isn't it? Is it possible to boast of our humility? Uh, I don't think so. As the Lord helps us to subdue our prideful tendencies, it's very easy to allow our success in that area to undermine our success in that area. Join us next time on Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff shares more from James 3.16 about selfish ambition and the arrogance it can produce. We are here to give you strength between